Happy Sabbath. Welcome. It's so good to see you and to talk to you, to connect with you. As we continue talking about this notion of rest in Scripture and we connect those ideas to this wonderful truth that is the Sabbath. Now, we're going to explore this notion, which is so rich and so deep, so it's going to take us about two weeks to do so. And so, I'd like you to view today as simply a continuation of our conversation last week. But before we chat together, can I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes? Ask the presence of God with us this morning. So pray with me, won't you? God, we want to thank you so much for the Sabbath. Not just the Sabbath as a theological or a doctrinal proposition, but rather the Sabbath as a relational peace in our exchange with you. So today as we talk about what it means to rest in the Sabbath, won't you give us the capacity to connect the day with the person? Allow our understandings of Sabbath to become incarnational as they push us to connect with a community of faith that seeks to better represent you to the world. Thank you so much for being who you are. We pray in your name. Amen. So friend, the great Christian apologist, G.K. Chesterton, tells about an interesting parable. It was a famous man. And in his life, busy as it was, he had no time for spirituality. And because he had no time for spirituality, the time came when he perished. And as he perished, he descended into hell. I know, I know, this isn't about the state of the dead, it's a parable. So as this man goes into hell, there are several people who are alive who are attempting to get him out. First, one of his best friends, approaches the gates and attempts to negotiate a way in which uh, this man will be liberated. He talks about some of the deeds that were good that the man did during his life. Uh, the gates didn't budge. Then his business manager and partner came down and talked to him about how he attempted to be fair and how the process of developing a spirituality uh, needed more maturation, more time. Uh, still, the gates didn't budge. And then finally, his mother. His mother approached the gates and knocked and simply asked to be let in. At that moment, the gates flung open. And Chesterton's idea for that parable is simply that love knows no bounds. There are no boundaries, no separation, no places where love won't follow. It probably has a link and a conversation partner in the early church's declaration in that well-known formulation of the Apostles' Creed, which states that Jesus descended into hell. The idea is this, then. There are no borders or no boundaries that love won't 
transgress. Which is why the concept of Sabbath sometimes is so interesting to me. Because too often we in our church have used that rich, rich theological statement and idea as a set of bricks and mortars that allow us to build up barriers. Now, we've talked a lot about this notion of the Sabbath being changed by Constantine, although the historical account would push us to consider some different options. We also talk about the eschatological implications of the Sabbath, though a careful reading of Revelation might reveal that John doesn't have at least those same intentions as he is penning his letter. So if Sabbath is not intended to be this barrier that separates us from other people, then what do we do with it? How do we develop a belief system that is resilient to the questions asked by the world that desperately needs rest, while at the same time remaining true to our Adventist commitment to the day itself and to the commandments. Well, this week, the lesson looks at two primary places, and it looks at places that I find are rather interesting. The first place that the lesson looks at is uh, the Gospel of John and the fifth chapter. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to open it with me to John chapter 5. Now, what's interesting about John chapter 5 is that it is nestled firmly between two stories. Two stories that talk about God's radical love that knows no boundaries. The first story is found in the fourth chapter. And in John chapter 4, there is a Roman official who is pleading desperately for Jesus to enact a cure, a healing miracle. The Roman official goes and doggedly follows Christ. He recognizes that there is something different about this rabbi. This Roman official represents the highest apex of faith in the Johannine account. And then you have this other story, and kind of bookends it in John chapter 9. In this case, you have a man, a blind man, that is sitting or standing, depending on how you read the text, by a pool. And as he sits, Jesus does this miraculous healing by which he restores sight. John is clear in what he is attempting to have us do as this man represents the highest degree of discipleship. After he is healed, he turns around and risks life and limb in order to testify and witness to Jesus' messianic office. And this man loses his place in the synagogue. He is expelled from his community. He has to recast his identity. And he does so happily because now he is following this new call, the call to be a disciple. And so between the apex of faith and the apex of discipleship, you have the story that the lesson is concerned with today. John chapter 5 again will present Jesus at a pool. And as he sits there at the pool of Bethesda, he encounters a myriad of men laying on mats. Now, there was this 
tradition, and it was a tradition that stated that an angel would come down from heaven and remove the waters in the pool, and as the waters became agitated, the ability for transformation would occur. Agitation then was necessary, a necessary ingredient for transformation. Something needed to occur in order for change to happen. It's interesting that John uses the same word, this idea of the waters becoming agitated. In John chapter 11, as he begins to talk about Jesus's move towards Calvary, as Jesus weeps in verse 35 of that chapter, that same verse, that same word, that same verb that is used in chapter 5 to refer to the water moving is now referring as Jesus's inner well spills out in love and grace and compassion. So, in the Gospel of John, water means something, and when the water moves, when the water is agitated, transformation occurs. Which is why I find John chapter 5 so interesting. You see, here's this man waiting, waiting desperately for something to change, for the agitation to occur that brings transformation. And perhaps that's what you've been waiting for in your life. I mean, haven't you spent time praying and pleading, looking out into the world, hoping that something will change? that a religious revolution will come or a new faith restructurization will occur in your life that will change the direction on which we're currently going. Well, John seems to be clear in pointing out that agitation is needed but for transformation. He also reconciles the idea of rest preceding that agitation. So in any moment in which the Spirit is going to act in order to transform that or transform us, those spirits are, and those moments are preceded by instances of discernment and contemplation. It is the Roman official who discerns who Christ is, and it is that that propels him to go out. It is the experience of the man sitting by the pool of Siloam that allows him to recognize and to see Jesus in a different way. And it is this man's experience lying for 38 years in the pool of Bethesda that will allow him to recognize something. So what is John attempting to have us recognize? Well, Jesus approaches the man and asks him a rather simplistic question. He simply says, would you want or do you want to be whole? In the Greek language, this particular question can be interpreted in two primary ways. Do you wish to be healed or do you will to be healed? And here I think John is attempting to use this play on words to punctuate the possibility that that which we wish for is something that we must will for. In other words, our wishes for transformation will remain ethereal unless we have the will and the way to bring them to fruition. Ronald Rollheiser, the great Christian mystic, talks about this experience as he speaks about rest. He says, if we desire 
to feel the communion with Christ that brings rest and peace, then we need to be commune, then we need to partake in communities for whom rest is a priority. In other words, our wish for peace and true Sabbath needs to be preceded not only by contemplation, but by a prioritization of the idea of rest and relaxation as part of our rhythms. So Jesus is asking the man, do you wish or do you will? to be healed. And the man doesn't answer, which is what I find so fascinating about this particular passage. He utters no words. He actually simply begins to descend into a litany of excuses as to why his current plight. It seems like he's trying to excuse something, isn't he? I mean, read the words right there in your Bible. You can find it in John chapter 5. The man responds to Jesus' question simply by saying, I have no one to push me into the water. Now, here's what I think is interesting. The man is giving an explanation for his state. How often do we justify our current state with explanations? I work too much because I want to provide my family with financial security. I am invested in growth and development professionally because I want to be able to transform my organization or my systems. I don't have a life in balance because I need to achieve the status necessary in order for balance to be a promise of the future. See, we often justify our state instead of asking what Je- instead of answering the question that Jesus is asking. Do you wish to be whole? Do you will to be whole? Well, if your answer to those questions is unequivocally yes, then Sabbath is for you. You see, Sabbath is a day and a time where you don't need to justify anything. You don't need to present any explanations as to why you're overworked, overstressed, or tired. You simply need to be. We precede the transformation and the agitation that the Spirit will do in our lives throughout the week with a period of discernment and contemplation. Like the great Christian mystics of old, we prepare ourselves for battle into the world by returning to the Spirit. And like St. Augustine say, our hearts are restless, Lord, and we will know no rest until we rest in you. Mm. It is that which Sabbath does for us. It recognizes the restlessness of our hearts and it allows us a space to be free of justifications in order to simply find restoration in Him. Now, people often ask, well, if that's the case, then does the day matter? And the day matters, my dear friend. It matters because there is a community of faith that wills Sabbath. There is a community of faith that says, in this place, you are entering a safe space. You are entering a space where no justification is needed, where you can simply explore what it means to be a creature made by God. So the conversation continues at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus simply says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. 
And it is then in verse 9 when we are reminded that it was the Sabbath day in which Jesus did this. And so the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews in John's gospel, they become, well, they become worried about this. You know, they see the man and they ask him what he's doing. And the man says, somebody made me well and commanded me to carry my mat and walk. Notice, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jews, they knew this man. This man had a reputation. 38 years laying on a pool will do that. And yet, yet they were unable to provide him the rest and the restoration that he so needed. This man was lying in the institutions, in the healthcare places of their time. But the institutions were unable to provide the relief that he needed. It was only Jesus that could do that. And as members of institutions attempting to, to defend the mission and the vision of the institution, the Pharisees and the Sadducees forget that the mission and the vision of the institution is men, not mats. You see, they forget about the first part of the man's statement, I have been made well, and they only focus on the mat. When Sabbath becomes a barrier, when Sabbath becomes merely a theological construct, when Sabbath becomes merely something that separates us from the rest of the denomination, Sabbath becomes institutionalized. And as defenders of orthodoxy, as members of the institution, as part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we tend to run the risk of focusing on mats, forgetting that the mission and the vision is, is men. Well, the man, the man doesn't even know Jesus. The man simply says, it was somebody who healed me, and it seems like the story is over. And then for some strange reason, which I don't quite understand yet, Jesus goes and finds the man. And he finds them in the heart of institutionalism. He finds him in the temple. He looks at him and he says, go and sin no more. And this commandment is followed by an interesting comment lest something worse happen to you. Go and sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. Well, we know from John chapter 9 that Jesus doesn't connect physical maladies with sin. But what about, what about that experience of a restless soul? What about that experience of having to justify your existence? What about that experience that makes it impossible to find rest or restoration? Because you've bought into this narrative of an institution or a culture that says you need to be busy. Again, Ronald Rawheiser reminds us of the need for churches, for institutions, for people that claim the Sabbath to become incarnational, he talks about a story, a story of a woman, a woman that desperately needed the promise of Sabbath, the promise of church, the promise of peace, the promise of Jesus. So a group of people knock at her door and invite her to church. 
And she says, I've lost my faith and my hope in church every time that somebody knocks at my door, they're attempting to convert me. Oh, I would prefer the fire of hell than the cold, lonely life that I've been forced to live. Men are the mission, not mats. And Sabbath is an opportunity to rest and recharge and refocus. Mission drift happens when you don't have a moment and a time to ask the questions of why. Why do we do what we do? Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we hope in the God that we hope? Well, what if Sabbath is the, is the opportunity to stop justifying our existence and start asking ourselves, Lord, how do we become more incarnational and what do we do? Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why Romans, in that beautiful letter that Paul writes, he reflects on this idea of baptism as rebirth. And maybe the purpose of that is that Christians and followers of God ought to be poised to continue asking the question of why to continue experiencing and moving in spaces that focus and cause you to rethink and reorient your vision and your mission, your purpose even. When the man is healed and he finally knows Jesus, he goes back to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in John 5 and he tells them, now I know the man. The man that provided me rest. So, what ought to do, what ought we as Adventists to do with our ideas of Sabbath? Well, I see we have only two options at this point. We can choose to continue making it a point of distinction with others, or we can exploit that time in order to reorient and redefine our vision, to rest and recuperate, to plan and strategize, to rid ourselves of that warm and comforting feeling that comes when you believe that you are in on a secret that makes you better than everyone else. What if Sabbath is a weekly invitation to go To go and break down the gates of separation, of division, of bigotry. For the love of the one who calls us to walk and pick up our mats. If men are the mission, and if the church is comprised of missionally driven people, then it's no wonder that Paul says that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Happy Sabbath. May you rest in him. Joey, so, the, so it seems like this lesson was very similar to what we chatted about last week, although for some reason the foe side is a little bit different as 
is this wonderful microcosm of mission and mission-driven work on Sabbath and the, this idea of partnerships and incarnation that we are being asked to inhabit. So what do you think? What did you think of this week's uh, tr- treatment of the lesson as it, as it moves to Sabbath? Well, I love what you did about refocusing the Sabbath on God's love, that, that the Sabbath was an expression of God's love, and also that we are able to express love through the Sabbath as well. Is that, do you think that's what Jesus meant by the fact that man, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? Is that what he's trying to say there? I think so. I think that's, that's, that's part of what, that's part of what he's saying. And if that's what he's saying, then I think it, it's an invitation then for our congregations and our communities uh, to participate in mission-driven thinking yeah. um, and to use the Sabbath as kind of not only the, f- uh, not, so that the Sabbath is not only focused on that, but that the loci of our mission-driven activities becomes the Sabbath. Yeah, that that the mission of the Sabbath, that that even as we practice the Sabbath, it's not just institutional preservation, like you were saying, Correct. but but it is to help our fellow man and to show God's love for our fellow man and for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful. I love that. But like you said in the very beginning, that takes more than just a wishful thinking. It takes a will, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, I love that, that, that do we, I, I, I couldn't help but keep on thinking to myself, do we ever wish for things but not will for things? And I think, I mean, for me, I, I see that all the time, but especially when it comes for the Sabbath, do we have this beautiful wish for what the Sabbath will be, but don't actually engage in the will of creating that yeah. experience of the Sabbath? Yeah, I think, so I think, I think that's part of the problem. So if you read, for example, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's great in the sense that he pushes throughout his gospel, uh, his theology, mm-hmm. um, forces us to to focus on a God that is not just transcendent, but it's it's a God that's imminent. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matthew, I think, does a great job telling us, hey, the idea of incarnation is not this this event that happened in the past mm-hmm. and that God engaged him for 30 some odd years. It's something that happens now through the community. And so Matthew, I think, when when he's talking about not just the Sabbath, but but the role of the church in in all arenas of life, he's saying, look, if you're a theist, then you can wish for things. But to be a Christian mm-hmm. is to not only wish for things, but the, but then to will things into existence. Mm-hmm. Because as Christians, we believe in a God who is not just transcendent, he's imminent. Mm. And he is imminent. Yeah, he's a God that, as my as my three-year-old said when, uh, last night when I said, Jesus is with you in the room. And mm. Kai looks at me and says, yeah, daddy, but, but I need somebody with skin in the room. Mm. Um, well, guess what? The church is God's skin. Mm. Um, and so when, when we talk about wishing and willing... Yeah. Uh, the church has the responsibility to wish and to wish this big picture of Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, but then the church also has to have skin. And skin is the way in which we will 
that reality of Sabbath into existence. Wow. There's a lot that you said there, but I love this idea of that we are we are the incarnation of Christ now on this earth. That we as we like Paul says, we are the body of Christ, not just metaphorically, but also literally we are here to to be his hands and feet, to to walk around and do the things that Jesus would do. And that takes will and not just a wishing right. for that to happen. Wow. So what what keeps us, what do you think keeps us from being able to will these, these wishes that we have for the Sabbath? You know, we've talked, we've talked a lot over this um, quarter about Sabbath rest and the importance of rest. And you know, there's some beautiful things that we, we've said about what the Sabbath can be. What prevents us from actually creating that in hmm. our lives? Hmm. I think it's imbalance. Hmm. Um, so I think in order to translate these wishes into will, mm. we've got to have a practical theology mm. or a faith-based approach, or to use a very new age term, a spirituality that is balanced. Yeah. And too often our spirituality isn't balanced. Mm. Um, you'll have some people that for whom spirituality is all about uh, private prayer and private morality. These are the things that matter. You'll have other people for whom uh, spirituality is all about social justice. Mm. And then you'll have other people for whom spirituality is all about uh, the mellowness of, of our heart yeah. and our spirit. Uh, kind of this, this idea of, you know, the asceticism, as, as uh, Christian mystics call it, the asceticism of joy. Mm. And then you have other people for whom spirituality is purely a community-driven worship event. And I think when you focus on only one of these things, one of these arenas, what you have is you have this spiritual imbalance. Mm -hmm. I think that Sabbath forces you if uh, in a healthy understanding of Sabbath, mm -hmm. forces you to develop a spirituality that is balanced. Wow. Right? So you've got uh, your private morality mm. um, being present and prevalent in the idea of the Sabbath. After all, private morality is all about the Ten Commandments. And so we, the day matters. Uh, it matters because God said it mattered. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's this private morality uh, Link to, to Sabbath, but there's also this uh, this concept of social justice, we've, which we've talked a lot about here. Um, there's also the, the this idea of asceticism, right? Mm -hmm. We reject uh, and, and this idea of asceticism making our hearts mellow. We reject watching uh, certain TV shows mm -hmm. or doing certain things, not because we think that there's anything wrong in those activities, yeah. but because we want to develop a discipline. Yeah. And then there's also, right, the, the, the idea of communal and community and worship ingrained in the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So I think that what prevents us, as you said, from, uh, be, from developing or transitioning our wishes to our wills is that we have a spirituality that is not in balance. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're trying to construct a truly balanced spiritual life, um, then the Sabbath becomes becomes a central way in which you do that. Wow. Wow. So 
the Sabbath forces us, if we're going to be able to practice the Sabbath the way that it, God intended, it forces us to be balanced mm-hmm. in our in, in our spirituality. Wow. And so then maybe the reason why we can't keep the Sabbath then is because we're we're being drawn to a, an aspect of the Sabbath that is that really is in tune with what we want, our personality. But like we've talked about before, the two of us are introverts. And so this idea of a communal Sabbath is not as attractive right. as the idea of a maybe ascetic Sabbath or a Sabbath that we take apart from all of all of all everything that's happening around in the world. And so it, Sabbath almost becomes a selfish endeavor. Like, what does Sabbath do for me? Rather than um, if we have balance, then it's not just what does Sabbath do for me, but what does Sabbath do for us or Sabbath mm-hmm. do for we, right? Um, so that that idea that Sabbath, Sabbath for it to really have its meaning needs to be balanced. That's that's powerful. And just think about what that looks practically, right? So if I have a if I have merely a private morality view of the Sabbath, then the Sabbath is a day mm-hmm. in which I worship. And that's great. I mean, fantastic. Um, but we're not going to understand or you, or we're going to get upset if that's all that the Sabbath is. Mm-hmm. We're going to get upset when we see people in our community who rightly so are critiquing the systems and the structures that are leaving them devoid of a voice. Yeah. And we're going to say, why doesn't the church just be about the church? And God's and God says, well, you need to be incarnational mm-hmm. and being incarnational means, like you, like you said before, going out into the world. Mm-hmm. So then you have you, you have this this capacity of looking at the Sabbath as a Sabbath as justice. And you say, well, that's great. Like, let's go and let's protest and let's talk about inequality and and let's try to redistribute a power and let's look at how we can make sure that people have universal health care and a living wage. Yeah. But if that's all you're doing, mm-hmm. then uh, then a lot of things are missing in the sense that my personal life doesn't matter. Like we say, well, you know, my individual morality is not important. Look at all the big problems in the world. But God says that you matter. Mm-hmm. Your, your decisions matter. And so let's say you're just focused on asceticism. Uh, Teilhard du Chardon uh, talks about this co- this convention that he went to, and there was this nun there that had uh, had a great private morality, uh, great social justice. She lived amongst the poor, and so great idea of justice. Uh, and so at the end of, of the conference, uh, the table that du Chardon was sitting at goes out for dinner, and this nun stays inside in the bus because she can't, she can't understand why the church is spending all this money eating a lavish dinner while there's so many hungry poor. And then it dawns on her that if Jesus were alive, Jesus would be in there in that restaurant having a good time eating food. Uh, and John the Baptist would be in the bus mm-hmm. kind of frowning and, and uh, fire breathing. And so she says, well, in order for me to, to be to experience uh, spirituality like Jesus experienced spirituality, then I need to make sure that uh, commu- that joy and food and happiness and laughter is part of my experience. And so we don't do that when it comes to the Sabbath sometimes. We forget that the, the joy aspect. And then people say, well, maybe I can worship on my own. Why do I have to go to church on Sabbath, right? What's, what's, important, what's so important about that? And 
I think the the notion of community matters, mm -hmm. right? That you belong to this group and that when you worship as a community, you recognize that you are joining your song uh, to the song of many other people who are worshiping, but that your song is by no means the only song. And so it makes mm -hmm. the, the, the capacity of corporate worship yeah. tends to make you more tolerant of people with different viewpoints. And so it broadens your ideas of who God are, is. And so to have a truly healthy spirituality, you need all four components. Mm -hmm. on, and those four components are expressed on, in Sabbath. And then if you are able to apply these components to the rest of your spiritual walk and your discipleship journey, then you will be a balanced Christian. Wow. Wow, friends, you I hope I hope you caught all that. That was that was so powerful what Pastor Miguel just just did right here. He he showed that that having balance in the Sabbath is so important to ha having balance in all of our spiritual lives. And that's I I find that that incredibly enlightening because Maybe that's why, do you think that's why Jesus emphasized the Sabbath so much throughout scriptures? I mean, he he seemed to be constantly correcting yeah. um, the, the religious leader's concept of what the Sabbath was, because maybe maybe it wasn't that the, like you said, it's it's not that they were keeping the Sabbath incorrectly, it's that they were keeping the Sabbath incompletely. Mm -hmm. And that's what was leading Correct. to an imbalance in their, in their theology. Correct. And think about the four groups, right? Mm -hmm. That that uh, are trying to keep Sabbath during Jesus's time. So you've got on the one hand, the Essenes, all about asceticism, yeah. right? You've got the Zealots, all about social justice. You've got the Pharisees who are really concerned with, corp with private morality. And then you've got the Sadducees who are really concerned with, the, with, the, with this idea of proper worship. Mm -hmm. And the problem is each one, like you said, is correct in that they have a piece of it. But they're imbalanced, and ultimately they reject Jesus wow. because they're they're keeping Sabbath incompletely. Mm -hmm. And so I think that to continue asking ourselves about the richness and the multidimensionality of mm -hmm. Sabbath is going to at least, for, if nothing else, ensure that our spiritual lives are, as we've said, imbalanced. Wow. So then maybe the question we need to ask ourselves is not, are we doing the Sabbath wrong, but what more could mm -hmm. we be doing with the Sabbath? What what aspect of the Sabbath are we missing? Is it that I am focused so much on personal piety that I don't take time for social justice or looking to the needs of others? Is it that I'm so focused on the so social justice aspect that I'm not actually taking time for communal worship? Mm -hmm. Am I so focused on um, doing the holiness of the Sabbath that I'm missing out in the joy of the right. Sabbath? What aspect of the Sabbath am I missing in my life? Because if there is something missing, then maybe there's an imbalance in our spirituality. And that's a great point because what if, and this is a new thought, and friends, this is how new ideas kind of emerge and bubble up. But what if Sabbath is not just this sign of the remnant church, but what if Sabbath is kind of this diagnostic tool that shows you where your where the imbalance in your spiritual life is going to be. Because you're right. If you're mm -hmm. only focused on the holiness of the Sabbath, mm -hmm. chances are that you're you're missing all these other things in your spiritual walk. And so I think simply by looking at what appeals to us about Sabbath, 
we can not only learn how to keep Sabbath more joyously, which is great, but we can also have spiritual walks and spiritual lives, discipleship journeys that we're more, that are more in tune with what God has for our lives. Wow. So maybe when God challenges us to remember the Sabbath day, it's not just to lead us to a certain way, uh, just to remember a day of a specific day of worship or one aspect of the Sabbath. He's trying to lead us to have a more complete view mm -hmm. of the Sabbath and challenging us to look at that mirror and see mm -hmm. whether we have a complete view of God in our lives as well. Right. And that's maybe, and this is just a maybe, but that's why I think um, Paul talks, uh, and Paul is not an antinomian, right? Paul isn't really against the law. Mm -hmm. But if you think about what, um, what things Jews considered of uber and extreme importance, it was a circumcision, dietary law, Sabbath, right? Mm -hmm. These were the things. And so when Paul speaks about the law, these are the things he's talking about. He says there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. I mean, what, what we're saying isn't anything new. Yeah. Paul is saying, look, there's nothing wrong with the law. Mm. And for the purpose of this conversation, let's replace the law with Sabbath. There's nothing wrong with Sabbath. Sabbath is a mirror that allows you to see and diagnose where the problem is. Mm. And so I think then that if we start asking ourselves, hmm, what in my life am I having problems with mm. when it comes to the Sabbath? Am I part of the people that say, well, the day doesn't really matter. Well, maybe the maybe the maybe I need to start looking at my personal piety. Mm. Um, well, you know, the, if if you're if you're if you're part of of these people who say, well, the Sabbath is about all these rules. Maybe I'm too involved, as you said, in the holiness of it. If you say, well, you know, the mm. church, I I can worship by myself at home, watching online. Well, maybe, and thank you for watching. But maybe uh, where we need to start working on is this idea of communal worship. Mm. And so I think Sabbath is very is a very useful tool to like we've like we've been saying to diagnose kind of what areas are we having problems within our spiritual walk. Yeah. And the challenge is that it's not like these things are unknown, like you said. These are things that we all know. Mm -hmm. And even during Jesus' time, different groups, like you pointed out, had different pieces of this. It's just that instead of listening to each other and getting a holistic piece, they just argued with mm -hmm. each other and said, no, my piece is more important than mm -hmm. your piece. And don't we do the same today? I think we do, don't we? I yeah. think that's what, that's, that's, I think, the problem. I think the, I think the problem is that we've ceased to believe in an imminent God, and we've we've merely we merely see God as as transcendent, mm. right? And so, when God is transcendent, uh, and God is transcendent, but when that is all that God is, mm. um, all you really care about is pleasing mm. this this holy other being that you can never access. And so, pleasing this 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 being means to calcify uh, your your beliefs, you kind of hold, because let's face it, we human beings, we're not great at multitasking. Yeah. We can do one or two things really well. Yeah. And so if I'm trying to please this transcendent God, I'm going to simply grab onto one thing and I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, I don't know about the rest, but I'm gonna do that really well. Mm -hmm. But what if God is not just transcendent? What if God is imminent? What if, 
What if God is incarnate, not only in the person of Jesus Christ, but in the life and testimony and witness of the church? And if that's the case, then the church becomes not uh, a group of people that we either have to convert or that we have to defend ourselves against. The church becomes a conversation partner because the church is reflecting the incarnation. And so we, we can have thoughtful conversations um, about the Sabbath with people who are more conservative than we are, who are more liberal than we are, or who have beautiful ideas of the Sabbath, but um, are, are believing that, uh, that the day itself isn't that important or that we're in a new covenant. See, instead of trying to, to say, no, we're right and you're wrong, we need to start asking, well, what vision of the Sabbath do they have? And how does this vision enrich the vision of the Sabbath that I have. Yeah, that's so beautiful because like we've said, it's in those conversations that new ideas mm -hmm. emerge and a new understanding of who God is. Not that God changes, but our understanding of him continues to Absolutely. grow. And yet sometimes doing that can feel threatening, right? It can feel like I'm losing something when I accept your view, which is different than mine. It feels like I'm I've lost something. So how do we how do we get past that fear? That fear of losing our identity, losing the thing that makes us unique and special. Um, I, I hear that a lot from um, our my Adventist brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. That this idea that man, if we give in here. Why be Adventist? So there's this, there's this almost this sense that we were given this message of the the holiness of the Sabbath, and to let and to accept that a Sabbath is not just about holiness, but it's also about um, imminence, right? Mm -hmm. The presence of God with us. It's also about joy. It's also about this social justice and what God wants to do. With, it's also about these pieces. Almost feels like I'm losing something. How do we get over that fear? I think you need to make peace with the fact that losing stuff is part and parcel of being human. Mm. And we do this all the time, right? When you make a decision, you, in essence, are losing a myriad of possibilities. So when you said, yes, I want Sarah to be my wife, then that meant that you lost the possibility of any other woman being your wife, right? So <laughs> when we make a decision... Hopefully. Well... <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it was easy because no other woman wanted to marry me. So for, for me, that was way, way easier. But any choice, yeah. any time you say yes to something, you're saying no to a lot of other things. That's and so true. you're losing a, a whole lot of possibilities. And yet in every other arena except spirituality, we're comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. We're comfortable with making those decisions. For some reason, when it comes to spirituality, instead of launching ourselves into the possibility that choices allow us mm -hmm. to solidify a pathway by which we can be better stewards of the message that God has for us, we've said, no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm afraid to lose. And so mm -hmm. because we're afraid to lose, we don't make any decisions. And because we don't make any decisions, we become... Well, we become static and stagnant. And once you become static and stagnant, you stop to grow. Yeah. And once you stop to you stop growing, then we really have a problem. And so the you like we've been saying this morning, we we have what, uh, what scholars and leadership gurus call mission drift. You know, Joey, the prophets 
before God sent him out on a miss on a mission, and Adventism likes to to coin itself and to call itself a prophetic movement. Well, in the Scripture, before the prophets became uh, emboldened to go out and fulfill their mission, they had to do something. Mm. They were commanded to eat a scripture, to eat the book, to personalize it, to make it part of who they were. Mm. Because it was through the life of the prophet that this dead parchment would now become the living, breathing word of God. Wow. What if God is asking us, asking for us to swallow, to eat first of all our pride, and then to mm. eat our preconceptions of Sabbath? in order to give birth to something new uh, so that the Sabbath ceases to be this theological or uh, scriptural doctrine and it becomes part of our living, breathing experience with the God who dwells among us. Wow. And at that point, then we can really be the incarnation of the Sabbath. Exactly. Not just as a concept that we talk about or that we defend, but that we practice in our everyday lives. Exactly. Wow. Beautiful. I love that. And I love what you said about that the fear of losing sometimes keeps us from gain. And, and yet, as you pointed out with both of us, the gain that we, we, we got from choosing our spouse, right? right? And losing out on everybody else was so much better than anything else. Absolutely. So, and that, 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 that is the way with God, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it, it does require some courage. Mm -hmm. It's gonna, anytime God says, hey, go out and step into this new way of looking at things, mm -hmm. it's going to require some courage. And so I think the onus now, uh, because we've had this doctrine of Sabbath for 160 years, the onus mm -hmm. is on us to be courageous enough not to change. And I think you've said it wonderfully. Mm -hmm. It's not that we have to change everything. Mm -hmm. um, it's that, the time has come when we are being invited to rethink and enrich our, conce our concept of what the Sabbath is and hopefully what spirituality is and as we've done in this church, at least for the past few years, what discipleship could be. And accept the fact that just because we're a prophetic movement doesn't mean that God cannot speak through other movements mm -hmm. in the world as well and that we can listen to the voice of God through others. Who would have thunk it then that courage requires a pretty big dose of humility? Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a new, that's a new thought. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's a thought that we would do well in, in remembering, right? That anytime we want to walk out in courage, we're going to have to be humble um, because we don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know where God's going to lead us. And that's, I think, what's exciting about it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, Think about you when you made that decision to say yes, Sarah. I don't know that um, I don't know that you ever would have thought that years later, uh, we're not going to tell you guys how old Pastor Joey is, but years later you'd be you'd be in this position. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's that's the wonderful thing of making a decision and then stepping out in faith that you really don't know where the journey is going to end. And yeah. That makes it exciting. Yeah, and we know that if we choose God that no matter where the journey leads us, it's always going to be better than where we started. Mm. Isn't that a, a wonderful way of looking at Sabbath? So what if just go out and rest on the Sabbath, whatever that means to you, try to, try to be balanced in your spiritual walk, 
And then let the chips fall where they may. If if you're truly following in God, then I think Joey, you're completely right. Uh, it's it's gonna it's gonna have a good destination. Amen. Well, Joey, can we pray? And uh, and I know I'm I'm excited. I'm getting ready to uh, and excited because we have we have a pastoral lunch, and I'm sure we're gonna keep talking about the Sabbath here in a couple minutes. But before we let people go and enjoy their own breakfast or brunches or lunches, would you would you pray for us? Loving God, we want to thank you so much for the Sabbath, that you express your love to us through this amazing, amazing gift that you've given to us. And sometimes we've taken that gift and sort of distorted it by emphasizing one aspect over another. And yet today, what you've led us to is this understanding that Sabbath is at its best when it is balanced, mm-hmm. when it embraces all these different aspects, these facets like a diamond that show the beauty of the Sabbath. And how we can embrace those facets is to listen to one another and to learn from one another. That way we can incarnate the message, the loving message of the Sabbath in practice in our lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, dear church, go out and be incarnational, not just this Sabbath, but throughout the week. And we'll see you next time. God bless you. Mm-hmm.